Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, everybody. Welcome. And thank you for listening to this episode of Marriage Therapy Radio. My name is Zach Brittle. I'm here with Laura Heck. Um, you know, as you may know, I have this keen interest in interviewing people whose jobs have nothing to do with marriage or therapy or relationships. So we've gotten to talk to a fighter pilot. We talked to a professional athlete, talked to a professional nerd. That was pretty cool. Today, we're talking to a professional artist. His name is Austin Cleon. He is the author of a book called Steal Like an Artist, which is actually celebrating its 10th anniversary this week. Yeah, I'm really excited to talk to Austin and figure out what does art have to teach us about relationships? And um, he was not short on thoughts about it, which was really awesome. Um, we get to ask a couple of questions. We listen a lot. The bad news is that Laura's microphone is kind of wonky. Sorry about that. But the good news is that Austin does most of the talking. So as you might imagine, I think this is a very cool conversation. Stick around. Thank you for coming on. Like I sort of uh, found out about you a little while ago and um, started kind of just stalking your stuff and got excited about it. And um, Real creeper. <laughs> well, I... So I'm, I'm just really excited to talk to you. I've got a whole bunch of questions, but I think it would be cool just to hear a little bit. Laura, of course, is, I was like, you got it. We got to talk to this guy, Austin. She's like, who is this guy? But can you tell us, like, who who is Austin Cleon? Like, I would love to hear about that from your perspective, just so that we can, I've been asking around a lot, bunch of my friends and colleagues and people in this circle, and they, you're not, we don't know your name. So we'd, I'd love to make sure people learn it. Well, I always think an artist is the worst person to ask to describe themselves because okay. usually like a, it's, it's, it's usually like a lot of people, if you ask them to, you know, talk about themselves, they don't, they don't know what they're, what they're really known for. I, I would say I'm best known, um, for a trilogy of books I wrote about, uh, doing creative work in the digital age. Um, the most famous of them is called steal like an artist. Uh, the second one is called show your work, which is about, um, it's sort of a book about self-promotion for people who hate the idea of self-promotion. Um, and then the third in the trilogy is called Keep Going, which is about building a, a lifetime of creativity, really, how to be resilient and in it for the long run. Um, that's sort of what I'm best known for. And then I have been a blogger and a, you know an artist for probably 15 years now. Um, and... A lot of people really like my weekly newsletter, which is Ooh. read by 100,000 people um, mm -hmm. every week. And so that's kind of the thing that um, that's sort of my like weekly output thing that people get from me. And then um, so I, I think the the thing that sort of makes me unique as a creative person is that I uh, I'm a pictures and words guy, kind of like mm -hmm. a cartoonist. So. I do all the illustrations in my books and I also write them. And so um, I'm kind of a mongrel <laughs> hybrid of, uh, of writer and artist. And well, I also I give a lot of talks and speak uh, about creativity for everything from, you know, big companies to smaller groups. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. I love it. I love that you think about art. I mean, I think uh, Laura and I have been talking a little bit about as at the top of the year here, um, how people get resolutions and they get inspirations and they get intentions. And mine for this year has really been around inspiration and creativity. And so it's been really helpful to kind of lean into your work and just to be thinking about it. And, and one of the things that we, I have had this Ken to kind of um, talk to people who aren't in our space about what it means to, to influence our space. So there's this big metaphor inside of marriages about, I would, I want us to be on the same team. So I got to talk to a professional athlete about what does it mean to be like a teammate? What does it mean? What does that actually mean? You know, and um, and we are both affiliated with the Gottman Institute and we teach an, a, a workshop called the Art and Science of Love. And John Gottman is pretty famous for the science part. But I think the art piece is really 
intriguing to me, like to think about like, what is the art and how does, how can we think about art? And so I'm just sort of setting the table because I think it would be cool just to hear about, you said something yesterday in your email back to me and you said, what did you say? You said, I actually think marriage is pretty easy. So uh, maybe that's because it's artistic, artistic. I don't know, but it'd be interesting to think about how, how art works in this space. Uh, Just, just as another way to think, to, to look at it. Well, I think that marriage is fairly easy compared to being married with children, is what I said. You know, okay. it's really like being married is not a hard thing. I, I mean, when when I got married very early uh, for, for my generation, I think we were about 23. I was 23 and or, no, she was 23 and I was 22, maybe. Um, I we met in college, my wife, Megan and I. Um, and we got married, and so we we just had our fifteenth anniversary. Um, Congratulations! Well, We're doing twenty five this year, Laura. Where are you? Uh, I don't know. Thirteen. <laughs> Thirteen years married. Okay. Uh, I, don't, I, don't I mean, you know, the great joke about Not long enough. You know, the great joke is it's easy to stay married. You just don't get divorced. <laughs> Yeah. Um, and I, I, my parents were divorced and, um, I sort of, when I first started out as a young artist, I mean, I had a couple of things in my court. One, my wife's, my father-in-law is a writer, a newspaper guy. And so my wife grew up knowing what it was like to be married to a writer, Mm. what it's like to hear someone test material on you. Oh my gosh, I get that all the time from you, Zach. <laughs> Testing the material. So mm-hmm. what it's like to, um, yeah, what it's like to get material test on you. What it's like for someone to go away, you know, just mm-hmm. kind of like, <laughs> just disappear for a while, mm-hmm. which is, you know, what writers do. They disappear and they write. Uh, so she's always been my great reader. The The other thing I had in mm, in in my court is that the, Writers I was looking up to at the time when we met were very dedicated family people. So one of my heroes when I was, I met her when I was 20. One of my heroes was a writer named George Saunders. And he wrote his great, you know, his first great books at his desk job with two little girls and a wife who is also uh, Paula, who's who's also a writer. Uh, They actually met in an MFA program. And so I was looking up to, it was sort of one of the things I was really curious about in the early days. It's like, how can you unite art with the domestic? Because traditionally, um, art writing has been opposed or, or thought to be opposed to family life, that art is the Provence of the lone genius. It's the mm-hmm. place of the wild, you know, lone wild man and that family is antithetical to art. So like you get someone like Cyril Connolly saying that the enemy of great writing is the pram in the hall, the stroller in the hall, you know, Mm -hmm. saying that kids are literally the enemy of, of art. And so I was very lucky in the beginning in that I sort of knew that you could have a rich family life and a rich artistic life at, at the same time. And so that I was never tempted to give up on my marriage in pursuit of some sort of more free, uh, you know, art career. Mm-hmm. The other thing that, you know, the the other thing that I believe as a creator deeply is that um, great art is about constraints and it's mm. about actually having constraints on your work and not having unlimited freedom. Mm-hmm. And so for me, uh, being a married person, having a family has always just been one extra constraint that I've found, Mm -hmm. you know, keeps you grounded. And, you know, in the early days, it was mostly men who inspired me. So it was, you know, uh, guys, because the other people who inspired me were guys from another generation, like Saul Steinberg, uh, the New Yorker cartoonist, or, uh, Kurt Vonnegut, um, guys who didn't have very happy <laughs> marriages. Um, yeah. and, and, you know, we're so, so like later in my life around now, I actually find much more inspiration, uh, from mothers who are artists because okay. traditionally 
women who have raised children, had families, and been able to make great art, they have a perspective that is much more extreme and more interesting than men, um, typically. So someone like Sally Mann, the photographer, uh, in her memoir, Hold Still, she writes beautifully about not only being a mother and making photographs, but also what the implications are for using your children in your art. Mm. And then you'll have someone like Ruth Asawa, who is a great sculptor and artist who had like six kids and raised them. And there's these beautiful pictures of her, like making one of her big uh, sculptural pieces while the kids are just like hanging out on the floor. Mm -hmm. Um, And then um, just, you know, there's just a long list. Ursula K. Le Guin is -hmm. another one, the science fiction writer. You know, she she writes beautifully about how babies eat books, but they spit them back out again. And, you know, you can tape them back together later. So, you know, I, I was always really lucky in hindsight to have these kinds of great examples because for a lot of young men who are writers, they look up to people like, especially, you know, millennial white guys like me, you know, you'd look up to someone like Hunter S Thompson or Jack Kerouac or Mm -hmm. some of those guys that, that, you know, and are very exciting to like a 13 year old boy who are actually really good. Like Kerouac and, and Hunter S Thompson are really good, but their influence isn't great. Like it's a, it's a hard influence to get out from under. Mm-hmm. Um, and so like, I just was really lucky early on to have good role models. And I just really, um, you know, I got lucky that way. And so I, I just like my whole, my whole, uh, career has been about there's no there's no real uh, conflict between art and domesticity, art mm. and family. That actually they can speak to each other and enrich each other in ways that get beyond what you know what what you might have as just a lone you know creator. Can I ask a question? Because I'm I'm listening to you and I'm thinking about. The idea of creativity um, sort of being synonymous with our artistic output and the ability to slip into creativity. And I'm I'm thinking about what you're saying is uh, the idea that it domesticity, um, children in particular, as causing sort of stress and strain and complexity to the life and making it difficult or sort of presumed difficult to tap into that creativity and that artistic side of you. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm going, uh-huh, that makes a lot of sense to me. But then I'm also thinking about a lot of artists who um, are able to produce based out of pain, based out of struggle, based out of really tough situations, which would mm-hmm. be that stress. So I think the thing that I'm circling back to and particularly our listeners and sort of parlaying into marriage and relationships is we talk about how we need curiosity and creativity all the time in our relationships. And Mm -hmm. I'm wondering if you find someone that's like lackluster with creativity, how do you jumpstart that? Especially if they have a family, especially if they're finding it difficult to tap into that side of themselves where they haven't been able to feel that creativity and that juice and, or maybe even just like, um, circle back to that artistic side of themselves. Do you have any tips on how people can tap into that? Yeah, sure. Um, you know, there was a lot in there, um, but (laughs) you know, usually when it's okay, I, uh, part of what I do or I try to do is I try to really expand, uh, the definition of creativity for people. And I try to help them see that it's really, not about art, as you said, it's, it's, it's a tool that human beings use to, and you know, in their everyday life, you know, creativity is really just taking what's in front of you and turning it into something new, something that wasn't there before. Mm -hmm. And so there's a wide range of creative activities, everything from baking a loaf of bread to reorganizing your living room (laughs) to, figuring out how you're going to uh, get three kids to different lessons (laughs) in one day or, you know, how you're going to budget for uh, a household to, you know, painting the Mona Lisa or or uh, sculpting the David or, you know, so it's like there's a it's a it's a it's a it's a wide 
you know, range of activities. And, and people always ask me, you know, did you, you, did you grow up around artists? And I said, no, in fact, like, no, I didn't know what an artist looked like or what a musician did. Or I, you know, a lot of my young life was spent trying to figure out like what an artist actually does, like what mm -hmm. their days are like. The one thing I was surrounded with, though, is extremely creative people. My mom uh, was in public education, and I saw her cooking and sewing and, you know, doing all sorts of crafts and stuff all the time around the house. My dad is sort of like a my dad with a different background probably would have been an artist like he uh, was also in youth development, but like extremely creative, uh, always tinkering on something. You know, I like build a barn with him. You know, I had a really rural upbringing in Ohio. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, I was sort of surrounded by creative work all the time. I just didn't know that it was on a spectrum with what I actually cared about. If I had been able to say, oh, like all this art and music that I love, you know, that sort of runs on the same engine that like what my mom's doing in the other room with her quilts. Like I've got my mom's quilts up in the in the mm -hmm. room here. Um, you know, it would have helped in the early days to kind of honor the um, honor my environment more because I would have been able to say, oh, there's actually a lot of creativity around here. It's just not in the output that I'm interested in. Yeah. And to just totally bring that back to the ground level and to sell a book, I started the other day, the, um, the steal like an artist journal. Mm. Um, but it's this page right here, right? It's just full of circles. And it basically says like, what do you see here? You know? And I wrote a ball, a pizza, a hole, a coin, a hot tub. And it was because I have been thinking about those circles for now two days. I keep thinking about other things that are circles. Like what else is there? I mean, and this morning I was, I was feeling this feeling and I was like, what is this feeling I have right now? And I, and I described it as a sinking feeling in my stomach. And then I realized that, that actually, that's a cliche that I pulled out of the sky. Like, I don't actually know if that's actually the feeling I'm describing. So I tried to figure out other words that match the feeling I was having, just like the circle. So I think there's something about just taking the thing that's right there in front of you, the circle and going, well, what else could that be? You know, or the feeling anger, what else could that be? Um, so yeah, you're this describing book is hard. Like, this book is really hard, by the way. It's like totally <laughs> stretching me. I'm like, oh my God. It's good. Is it, <laughs> yeah. is it journal, like intended for, I mean, what is the, the purpose of the journal? It's, it's, uh, I mean, you'll know better than me, but it's basically to get you thinking about stuff you're not thinking about and to write it down every day so that you can sort of unlock some of those creative juices that maybe you hadn't been unlocking before. Yeah, I think the point of the journal is the same point of any journal, which is to try to make a space by by giving, you know, someone an object that they should sit down with every day. What you're really doing is trying to create a time and space in their day to access the kinds of things that they don't normally access. There's not really mm -hmm. any time in most contemporary people's lives in which they're asked to sit alone by themselves and to kind of think and write and draw and, you know, really, you know, most people, you know, they just get up in the morning and they go and they go and they go to work and they answer email and they're mm -hmm. on Twitter and they like do their jobs or whatever. And then they come home and watch TV. And there's there's really not a lot of time or space in most people's lives to access that part of them that comes forth like what you're talking about, Zach, when you are given these kind of creative prompts. Yeah. You know, there's just not a lot of time because I, I really believe that all people need to start getting creative is time, space, and materials. Yeah. I'm really clear about my work and my private practices. I want my clients to have the experience of going, huh, I, I never thought about it like that before. Or like, yeah. whoa, um, I actually wrote a, a book called the marriage therapy journal that is designed to do the exact same thing, which is to get you going, wait, I don't, I don't think that that is how that's supposed to think. One of my favorite questions in there is even this, right? Like to think about your relationship on a scale of one to 10, people go, Oh, we're a seven. And then I think the next, the, the best question is, well, why isn't it a six? Cause we always want to go, why isn't it an eight? What can we do being better? I'm like, no, but why isn't it a six? That's actually really good news. You know? Yeah. So I, I I'm into it. Um, I am also into it. I was just, we try to mention my mother-in-law um, in just about every episode. Because <laughs> I'm her favorite person, by the way. 
Sure. Um, and she <laughs> is, let's see here. She, let's just say that she is an aging woman. Uh, yes. Um, in her third quarter, fourth quarter of life, fourth quarter, um, respecting her. You but, hope? No. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. No, I want to keep her around as long as possible. She is, oh, good. You know, because not, you yeah. know, that's not always the. I know. The, I know. The, uh, I always say we have less in front of us than we have behind us. <laughs> Right. Okay. That's a nice yes, way. That is, that is accurate. But, you know, just as you were talking about um, being creative, she's an artist and she hasn't been able to tap into artwork and she has a mastermind group where they kind of get around, they talk and they sort of get those juices flowing. Um, but I was just thinking she's going to love this journal. And um, I actually was like tempted to start, you know, get on Amazon. Can I get it on Amazon? We're going to. Sure. Yeah, definitely. You can get it by accident on Amazon. I, I went to go buy How to Steal Like an Artist and I ended up with the journal accidentally. So I had to go back and. Oh, <laughs> right. Yeah. 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 You can get I it. I think you would love this as like a daily practice of just how to start thinking differently and pushing herself in different ways, especially as like a woman who's a little, you know, she's a little older. She's looking for ways to activate her brain in different ways. And um, I dig that. There's a lot. I, I actually, my readership. I, I have a pretty wide range of of readers. You know, there's mm -hmm. there's kids who are just starting out, but a huge portion of my readership is actually like retired or older people that mm -hmm. have the time finally that that they're like looking around and like they have the time to yeah. fill. And yeah. so that's really interesting to me because um, mm -hmm. the artists I admire. You know, my, a lot of my heroes are older artists that 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 have found a way to keep working, that they just have this kind of daily practice. And it's actually the work that keeps them alive in a way. And mm -hmm. so I really believe that it can be a way of structuring your days and that it gives you something to get up and do, you know. Yeah. Um, so it's been very interesting for, uh, for me um, to interact with my older readers and there's mm. some really great, I think the great Twyla Tharp just put out a book oh, about aging that. and creativity. I think it's called, um, keep it going. Mm -hmm. Um, so it's like, it's sort of like my book, keep going, but for, for older, you know, I always felt like keep going was a, my book keep going was how to become one of those people, mm. <laughs> you know, to become one of those great 80 year olds who gets up every morning and plays piano or, or, uh, or, or paints or writes mm -hmm. or whatever. Um, but it's interesting. No, I, I think that retirement or, or being retirement age presents this really interesting challenge for people because they really, you know, everyone needs a purpose and everyone needs mm -hmm. like meaning from their life. And art has traditionally just been the thing that that's, that's the easy thing that we've done. you either get it from religion, art, or, mm. you know, family, whatever it is, you know, but art is definitely a, a, it's a rewarding option, I think, because it never, you're sort of never done with it. Mm -hmm. Like you never mm -hmm. get good enough that you're like, Oh, I'm, you know, Oh, I'm, <laughs> I'm so good at playing the piano. I'm done with this. You know, it just uh -huh. doesn't happen. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Well, I think it's, it's, you said something too about people now have time. And I find, I find that question almost, in, or that notion almost infuriating because we have time for what we make time for. And I think yeah. when people don't say art is valuable or play is valuable or the relationship is valuable, then of course it goes by the wayside. I was talking to clients yesterday, two days ago, and they were like, we didn't do our homework. And I was like, why not? And they said, we didn't have time. And I go, okay, cool. What if I gave you like 17 more hours in your week? Would you have done your homework? They're like, no, we would have, uh, we would have yeah. gone to soccer practice or slept or would have probably worked a little bit longer or whatever. And I, so, you know, it comes back to, you know, what is it that you're gonna decide has value for you and how are you going to pursue it? So part of why this journal is so hard for me is because I have to like stop for 15 minutes and go, okay, let's see what we got. But now I've been yeah. thinking about circles for two days. <laughs> so, <laughs> it's a good thing like, to think about. Yeah. To, yeah, I mean, you're. That's you, a really good point. I mean, and and we can't de-emphasize the. Um, I mean, there are people who don't have time. I mean, there are people who, there are people who work three jobs and they're raising kids, and that's it's very point. hard to find time. But most of the people I talk to are not <laughs> those people. You know, they're people who have like good jobs or they're 
you know, they're, they're, they're very busy, you know, they're, we're mm-hmm. very busy. Um, but, you know, usually when I talk to people, I say, well, you know, the way that you find time is you look for it the way you look for spare change in the couch. Yeah. I mean, you sort of investigate every nook of your life. So one of the things I usually recommend to people is like to keep what I call a log book. And what that is, is it's like a it, you literally it's like an appointment book in reverse or a calendar in reverse. And what you do is you literally just write down everything you do all day. Mm. It's mm-hmm. I, I think the beginning of many at the end of pro- the day. Yeah, I feel like the beginning of many projects for people who are trying to reevaluate their life, it usually comes down to write down what you do, because when you write down what you do all the time, you start to see the patterns. And when it's actually in front of you, you you you're like, oh, okay. so usually when people like write down what they actually spend time on, you can actually see, oh, I was on Twitter for an hour. (laughs) Oh, I watched, you know three episodes of the Mandalorian or, you know, whatever it is. It's like, you know, there's, there's stuff, there's time out there. It's just, you have to help people see where it is, you know? I literally watched three episodes of the Mandalorian last night. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's a a fine thing to do with your life. I watch a shocking, I think people are really shocked at how much TV I watch. um, Cause they're like, well, you get all the, like you do all this stuff. And I'm like, well, first of all, this is my job now. So like yeah. when, like my job is to be at home and make art and write and whatever. So like, I don't, this is what, like, this is the day job. You're looking yeah. at it. Like that's sort of the dream. The other thing is though, I'm like so extremely disciplined uh, that I don't, I never take a day off really when it comes to like writing and making stuff. And so mm-hmm. by the end of the day, I'm worn out. Like I don't have any, you know, the, the great secret of a lot of writers and artists is that they have about writers in particular, they have about three to f- most of them have about three to four hours in a max. Mm. And that's really about the, the max amount that you could ever write you know, and, mm-hmm. and sustain it and sustain mm-hmm. it over long term. So, you know, you can get a stupendous amount of writing done just sitting down for an hour in the morning. I mean, mm-hmm. it, just a just a shocking. I remember being a young writer and, and reading about Stephen King. And, you know, Stephen King just writes every morning until about lunch and then he spends the afternoon reading. Mm-hmm. And that's what he does. And he produces, you know, just an incredible amount. And it's just because he literally does it every day. Mm-hmm. People sort of don't I think people don't believe in that kind of accumulate like the that the accumulation of days of effort mm-hmm. just how yeah. that's sort of just exponential you do something every day it's just it's just it's this remarkable adding up of 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 energy and effort it really leads to you know small things over time get really big Uh, We're we're grinning because that's like one of the (laughs) mottos of our our sort of like teacher, John Gottman says small things often. And we talk about that. And I totally agree with you. I think culturally, we are looking for the quick fix. We're looking for, you know, the overnight success. We're looking for those are the things that we believe we should do. And, um, and I am a huge believer and was actually just talking to someone yesterday about the impact of making changes over time. I have changed some habits and I'm not one of those people that goes cold Turkey and my husband is, and it never ever sticks. And it's Mm -hmm. one of those things where it's like, I know that this is going to take time. But when I look back three months ago, look how much has changed and whatever it might be that I'm working on. Um, I wanted to, I wanted to circle back to something that you said about writing, because I think that this is really interesting. This is like an actual activity that that our listeners could do of taking their day and just logging everything that they do. And then the thing that I would add on to that, that I've been working with a lot of couples is asking yourself, how did you feel after each of these things? So if you watch three episodes of the Mandalorian, 
How did you feel after watching that? Did it energize you? Did it lift you up? Did you feel at peace or did you feel more drained after that? And looking at over the course of your day, what's actually serving you and what's not serving you and having every every minute sort of figured out, because I think that there's a lot that you can purge in your life that we're doing because we think we should do it or because it's been habit or whatever. But I think there's a lot of time that we can find if you start purging the shit that doesn't serve you. Yeah, you're do- it's what I call the vampire test. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, uh, yeah. Does it's it what you dry. It's what what drains you and what you know fills you up. You know, mm-hmm. um, yeah. That's a that's an interesting. So yeah, I you know people say uh, people always ask me, well, how oh, my life is so boring. Why would I write about it? And that's for me what the logbook is. I put it on one little page in a notebook. I just have my logbook. And then I set it aside. I have that function that functions then as a I did this, I did that. And it's on mm-hmm. one little page. And then the rest of my writing, because I keep a regular diary too, is very freeform, kind of like stream of consciousness, just trying to pull up what's bothering me, what I'm thinking about, or I'll pick something in my logbook that I actually want to write about and get down. The journal that you're talking about in your diary, is that what you've taken pictures and posted on your on your uh, website. Yeah. Yeah. That's usually okay. like if people follow me on Instagram, I'll, I'll often post, uh, post pages of my diary and, mm-hmm. um, it's kind of an exercise in radical. I don't know about transparency, but I like people to, I'm sort of known as a guy who's like really inspiring. Like I, I, you know, my books do a very particular thing for people. They're trying to, it's trying to inspire them and trying to get them to, uh, you know, make, make their own stuff, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, but, uh, I think people get a fuzzy picture of me. They think that I'm like this happy go lucky guy all the Mm. time. And so I always like to push with people and say, you know, a lot of this, a lot of this work comes from being in pain. It comes from struggle. It comes from, you know, it comes from me helping myself, you know? I mean, like I, most of my books are written out of my experience of trying to figure something out on my own. I think that's a real fundamentally mistaken notion that people have about writing and about art in general, which is they think that, oh, you must, you know something, so you write about it. And it's like, mm-hmm. actually, it's the opposite. Really great writing is someone trying to grapple with something, trying to actually figure something out. Uh, great art is really about not knowing where you're going. It's mm-hmm. it's exploratory. Everyone, you know, some books, yes. Someone knows something, they're an expert on something, and they write it all down. That's That's fine, but... When writing is really doing the best work for the writer, it's when the writer is going into unexplored places, things they don't know, you know, going into a a place that they're not sure where it's going to lead. And then that's really the magic of art. And that's a lot of what I, you know, uh, that's a lot of what I counsel people is that you shouldn't know what you're doing before you start. That's a mistake. You know, people, that's really what people wait on. They wait on inspiration. They wait on, well, I got to know what I'm going to do before I sit down to work. And it's like, no, you need to sit down to work and what you need to do will become clear after you start pushing your, when you set, when you set aside space and time and you have materials to play with, uh, whether it's words on a keyboard or whether it's paints and a canvas, or a guitar and a microphone, whatever. When you do that, then things come. But you have to be ready for things not to come. And that's where the daily practice comes in. A place and the time and materials that you show up every day and you see what happens. Mm. That's I'm going right to relate this back to sex for a second <laughs> because that's that's where that's uh, you're like, oh, okay. As, sure. a, as a couple therapist, sex therapist, um, what you just said to me is how I would love for couples to approach sex is they take the space and time, right. they have no end result in mind, 
and they're just there to play and see what they can make of it. And when you set out in a great sexual experience with time and space and your partner and your lube and all your toys and whatever, um, I think you can have a great experience if you're not tied to the end result of one or both of you climaxing or whatever that might look like, but just exploring. And then also like the idea of having a daily practice, like putting yourself in that mindset of like, I'm going to be intimate with my partner physically every single day, whatever that might look like, who knows, but I'm going to make the time and space for it. Uh, that's just where my brain goes. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's, I mean, you know, art, sex, religion, drugs, these are all things that you're supposed to transcend daily experience. So really, I mean, what you're looking for in all these experiences is to go someplace where you aren't, you know, you can't just conjure on at will, you know, it's like, mm -hmm. there's a surrender element to mm -hmm. all of those things I just listed. Um, you know, most of life is about control. Like most of most of life is about being in control and you yes. know, whatever. The 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 spiritual experience, the artistic experience, the sexual experience is really about surrendering and giving over to something outside of yourself. Um and and so that kind of unites all those things. Yeah. Um and and yeah, you're right. The the thing is, is that this is a culture of control. This is mm -hmm. a culture in which you are supposed to be in control. To be out of control is something that's like, oh, no, wait, what? You know, mm -hmm. um, and we're a culture of being controlled, too. I mean, we're being manipulated constantly on many different levels. And so, you know, this idea of surrender is very scary to people. Well, what, mm -hmm. what well, something might happen. You know, you know, mm -hmm. so for me, it's really about surrender. And and there is a um, there is a mystical, spiritual element to a lot of it, um, which is why I like control and surrender so much, because it doesn't scare people away so much. You know, some some people get scared by spiritual stuff or mystical stuff or mm -hmm. that kind of thing. But if you talk about in terms of control and surrender, um, there's a. That also is, if you've read any brain science, <laughs> it's it's um, it's the way our different hemispheres operate. Um, there's a great writer named Ian McGilchrist who um, has written a really beautiful book about the differences in left and right brain uh, hemispheres, mm -hmm. and it's not really the old. That stuff got very bastardized in the '90s. Like there were right brain people and left brain people. Right. And it's yeah. actually not about that at all. The left brain is very much about what it can exploit. It's ways of attending to the world. Mm -hmm. And so the left brain is very much about what it can control and what it can exploit. Give me something and I'll do something with it. Um, the right brain is very much more about the whole picture of things, about sort of sensing what's around and 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 that kind of thing. And if you think about it, it's like, you know, Ian McGillicrice talks about it as if you're like a bird and you're eating a meal. Your left brain is like concentrated on eating this meal, but then your right brain is sort of looking around for predators and like the general atmosphere of whether you're going to fall out of the tree or whatever. So a lot of, you know, a lot of art is about going in between and creative work is about the interplay. It's not just about being a right brainer or a left brainer, it's about the interplay between those two uh, poles and the tension between them, that tension between control and surrender. Mm -hmm. and, and a lot of times with art, by paying extremely close attention to what you can actually control, it brings forth that surrender element to it. So like, if you, if you start making very controlled letters if you start writing very slowly so one of my practices is i take a paintbrush i learned this from an artist named linda berry i have a brush and i start writing very slowly and i pay really really close attention to the calligraphy of the letters and there's something about that extreme control of what i'm doing with the letters that frees me up to surrender my mind mm -hmm. So things come forth. So you've always, everyone's had that experience of you were doing the dishes right. and you got an idea 
Because you were focused on, or you're driving, you're like focused on something that's almost kind of like get your body doing something and then your mind can be freed up or you're taking Mm -hmm. a shower and you're relaxed, you know, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. So it's really about like the, the, I think it's about like doing something with intention and then that spirit, that surrender can kind of open up. Um, And I think that's like, but it's a very, it's not one thing or the other. And we're a culture that people really want, like, you know, one of my great frustrations as a person who talks about creative work, in addition to doing it, is people really, they, they tell, they say they want to be creative all the time, but they want to be told exactly how to be creative. <laughs> you know, they want to, they want like a, a an instruction manual for it. And so it's, you have to trick them. You, it's the same way when you're teaching like kids, you have to trick them into discovering it for themselves because you just can't tell people how to do this stuff. They have to discover it for, and you can tell them all you want, but it's really when they have like, when they discover it themselves, that that's when the real education happens. And every teacher deals with that. You know, every teacher deals with the fact that like, you can tell people things all you want, but it's really about leading them to that place so they can discover it for themselves where the knowledge like actually, you know, settles in. You know that Zach and I are huge fans of getting support, and that is why we have partnered with BetterHelp to put you in contact with licensed professional counselors in your area. Tap into the world's largest network of licensed, accredited, and experienced counselors who can help you with a range of issues, including depression, anxiety, trauma, grief, relationships, and more. With BetterHelp's counselors, you get the same professionalism and quality that you would expect from an in-office counselor. With the ability to communicate when and how you want, whether it be messaging, through the phone, or video conferencing. The matching process is quick but thorough. Look, I know that a lot of therapists are booked out and difficult to get into, but don't let that stop you from getting the support that you need. The cost is less than half of what Zach and I charge, which is kind of unheard of. And when you register with BetterHelp, you are supporting Marriage Therapy Radio. Go to trybetterhelp.com MTR. So it's trybetterhelp.com forward slash MTR to register with BetterHelp. T-R-Y-B-E-T-T-E-R, help, H-E-L-P.com forward slash M-T-R, and you receive a special discount as a Marriage Therapy Radio listener. I'm going to ask you two questions because we've got to land this plane here pretty soon. But uh, chapter, one of the the segments in your book, How to Do Like an Artist, is this idea of marry well. Why why did you include that in, in in your book? You know, I'm trying to think, you know, I wrote this book when I, I, I wrote Steel Like an Artist when I was about 27. Um, I'm 30, let's see, what, is this my 39 year? I think I'm 39 this year. Um, <laughs> you know, I, there's more space in between the me who wrote that book uh, and now than there there was between the me who wrote that book and the 19 year old he was writing it for. So it's very hard to like go mm. back and think about what I was saying. I think what I was trying to do is to tease out that a lot of what Steel Like an Artist is about is about the things that you surround yourself with are really the things that will infect what you do. And so there's also an idea in Steel Like an Artist that you're sort of the sum of your influences, that you're the sum of the people you're around. And the greatest decision you can make in your life is the person that you choose to Mary, you know, and I wasn't and I tried, you know, to say it's not just about like a heterosexual marriage. It's also about like who you choose to do business with, who you choose to collaborate with, like these choices of who you choose to pair with. They will affect the kind of work you do. And people are going to influence you. So make sure you choose the right people that you want to be influenced by. Right. Steal Like an Artist is really a, a book about turning influence part of the problem with influence is the English language. If you talk to someone and they say, well, I'm very influenced by Picasso, that, that sounds like Picasso did something, Mm. but it wasn't actually Picasso who did it. It was you, you sought out or you discovered Picasso and you looked at his work and then he, that influence you took in. It's, it's a, it's a active thing. So steal like an artist is a book about being intentional and active with influence 
literally going out and and finding influence and and actively uh, you know, that's why I use the metaphor of the thief is to case the joint, you know, to look around and find the things that you want and bring it into your own work, you know. And so it's really a book about being intentional, not not let you know, we're always ambiently influenced by what's around us. But to be very intentional with your influence uh-huh. was really what that book was about. And, um, you know, the, the, of, of course, the really funny thing is, is that. When it comes to marry well, I, I often don't think that I had anything to do with my marriage. Um, I I often feel that um, it just happened. I mean, you know, through circumstance and chance, you know, two people found each other at the right time in the right place, and then they made the intentional decision mm-hmm. to we're going to do this forever. You know, yeah. that's the intentional part, but. You know, that's a lot of what the creative process is like, is about being open and letting things come. And then when the right thing comes, jumping on it, you know, you know, harnessing it, going with it, you know. Mm -hmm. And so that's sort of like, but but Mary Well was really my, you know, just just be careful who you I believe deeply that we become who we pretend to be. Mm. That was one of Vonnegut's great lines. And I think we become the kind of people we're around. I I really believe that. And so to be intentional with your, probably what most people would say is the most important um, relationship in their life. Um, I think that's a, that's a, yeah, it's a powerful message for, for, for young people in particular. Right on. Okay. uh, Last question uh, that I stole uh, from your agent, Ted, which you actually stole oh. from him. And it's this idea of, uh, what gives you hope? What keeps you going right now? Um, I am, uh, extremely pessimistic in the long term. I think we're, you know, I, I think of death a lot. I think of, I think as a species, we might be doomed. I don't hold out a whole lot of hope, uh, for humans long term. What I am is a short term optimist. I really believe in the power of the day. I really believe in the possibility of the day of what can be done with the day you get today. And I believe that those days do stack up over time. Mm. And so what I really focus on is just, I almost have like a checklist in my head of things that if I can do, it sort of adds up to a good day. You know, like I have, uh, if I can go for a walk and I can write and I can listen to some music or play some music, spend a little time with my family. You know, I have very low expectations of like what a good day is, mm-hmm. you know, and try to see something new, try to hear something new, you know. So I'm extremely optimistic about the day and what you can do with it. I love um, it. But yeah. I'm extremely pessimistic long term. Um, I'm just one. I'm a very one. People have asked me before if I've been through the program, like Alcoholics Anonymous, because I'm mm-hmm. very... I'm very inspired by that one day at a time. Um, I'm not an addict as far as I know, but I, I don't know how to get through life other than that. The sun comes up, the sun goes down, Mm -hmm. the sun comes up, there's possibility. The sun goes down and you forgive yourself and you try again tomorrow. That to me is, is a very ancient, you know, I, I tend to think the ancient things are the things that, that, usually work pretty well, <laughs> you know, right the on. ancient truths stay true in a lot of ways. And so I'm always a big believer of Emerson's, you know, you, you forgive yourself at the end of the day. I'm also really, um, I'm making this a long answer, but I'm a big believer in sundowning. I don't know if you've all have read about like sundowning, like when you're, yeah. when We're you're, very yeah. So like, a, so like a dementia patient, like a lot of older people with dementia, they get way more confused at sundown. Mm. There's just something very extremely confusing about that time. I think it's true for everyone. There's something about the sun going down that it's a it's a it's a time of like tension and regret and remorse. <laughs> it can be. And so I try not to think about my life after dinner time. That's actually some that's a rule I have. I is that it. I just don't think about my life after dinner time. After dinner time is for thinking about other people's lives through reading or watching TV or whatever. Watching the Mandalorian. Yeah. Watching the Mandalorian. <laughs> um, 
but yeah, I don't think about my life after dinner time. And that's actually a rule my wife and I have. We try not to have real hard discussions at night. I think a lot of parents, it's very difficult, you know, particularly about the kids. It's very hard for couples to find time to talk mm-hmm. um, because most people, they have to get up in the morning and get their kids to school and then they have to go to work. And it's like, the joy of our life is that we take a walk together every morning that our kids are in school. Nice. So that's when we work things out about 9 or 10 a.m. Mm-hmm. And we try to leave whatever was said out in the air um, mm-hmm. out there. Oh, and wow. so, yeah, I, I'm just a big believer in the day. I'm also extremely curious. I would say that, you know, that's probably my there's a great um, there's a great. uh clip in the Anthony Bourdain documentary um, Mm. where Iggy Pop and and Anthony Bourdain, they're standing on the shore and uh, Iggy Pop says, you seem like a curious person. Mm. And Anthony Bourdain says, it's my only good trait. (laughs) And and Iggy Pop says, well, I think curious is a good thing to be. It leads to unexpected dividends. I think that primarily curiosity I think that's what gets me up in the morning. I'm just interested to see what happens, you know, like mm-hmm. with the day. And I think that's what that's that's ultimately what keeps me going. There's always another book to read. There's always new music to listen to. There's always a new movie. There's always uh, something new to learn on the piano. There's always some person to meet, you know, that's there's mm-hmm. there's always somebody with a little uh, nugget of wisdom, you know, that you'll be able to steal in the day. And, and so, yeah, I'm a long term pessimist. And a short-term optimist. <laughs> I don't think. Well, uh, I'm really glad to meet you. I hope we can be friends. Uh, this was really fun, and I'm going to listen to it a hundred times and just kind of make sure I write everything down, including all those folks that we, need, those artists I need to learn more about. But mostly, Austin Cleon, how to steal like an artist. You can get uh, follow you what at austincleon.com where your newsletter is. And, yeah, uh, that's where I live and have lived for almost decades now. Austincleon.com and. I think um, if people are new to me, the easiest way to kind of get to know who I am is to subscribe to my weekly newsletter because um, that's sort of what I'm into each week. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm, uh, there are lots of people who read it who don't actually read my books, so. yeah, right <laughs> which, is, which is a marketing failure, but, uh, but a success on, on other <laughs> levels. <so>. Sure. <laughs> well, I've already ordered a copy of the journal and it's being sent to my mother-in-law because I think she's going to just totally eat it up. And oh. I'm going to get some serious brownie points. Um, I hope you do. Thank you very much for coming on to the podcast. Yeah, well, it was my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Marriage Therapy Radio. And thank you to Austin Cleon. I'm going to spell his name so you can look him up. His website is Austin, A-U-S-T-I-N, and then Cleon, K-L-E-O-N.com. That's where you can sign up for his blog, his newsletter, so that he, you'll receive weekly writings from him. And then also just check out, you'll find anywhere books are sold. You'll find Steal Like an Artist, Keep Going, and Show Your Work, his trilogy. I already purchased the uh, workbook for my mother-in-law. It'll be arriving on Tuesday. Thank you, Amazon. This episode is brought to you by Amazon. Thank you for all of your time and attention, making your relationship better today than it was yesterday. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.